Conversations with Catholic Voices. Tackling the tough questions with Daniel Noor and Catholic Voices Australia. Hello, Cradio listeners. My name is Daniel Noor, and when I entered the Catholic Church on September the 21st, 2011, I brought all of my confusion, my anxiety, and my uncertainty right in with me. As a young journalist searching for the truth, I'll be interviewing a spokesperson of Catholic Voices, a nationwide media representative of the Church every week. I invite you to join me and have your questions about today's hot topics answered as well. This is Conversations with Catholic Voices. Today, our topic is the wealth of the Vatican. That old chestnut, our guest's name is Andrew Milne. Andrew, could you please uh, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure, Daniel. Well, I'm 31 and I'm married to Katie and we have a delightful 18-month-old son called Henri. I studied law and engineering at university. Uh, at present, I'm between jobs and thinking about a career change to a career that's uh, more in line with my passion for the church. So let's see where that heads. It's very exciting stuff for you then. And I feel that mm. you would be a uh, very good kind of um, representative, if not representative, then uh, well-informed uh, speaker about this issue. We know that you've done a little bit of reading for us, but also we hope not just to defend needlessly or indeed to criticise but actually to outline the realities of uh, the conditions that we're dealing with when we talk about the wealth of the Catholic Church. So to start, the Vatican has, of course, been amassing wealth for 2,000 years. That's assuming, you know, that we're dealing with a biblical timeline. The only other precedence of a single entity being so consistently wealthy over so many centuries, or at least the only one I can think of, is the Roman Empire. And that does seem to be fundamentally unsettling and I put that to you so just how rich is the church uh, where does that money come from but yes just how rich is the Catholic Church Daniel this is a perennial question that understandably arises when one considers the stark contrast between the stunning beauty of the Vatican's architecture and art and the desperate poverty experienced by so many around the world more recently, the question is posed in relation to whether the church has provided adequate financial compensation to the victims of clergy sex abuse. Mm. How rich is the church? It's really an impossible question to answer. But to start with, I'd like to give some f framework for considering the church's wealth before we look at any numbers. The first point to be made is that the church is merely a custodian for all that it owns. It is evident that throughout the world, the church is an immense force for good and providing for humanity. The church is the largest non-government provider of education and medical services in the world and manages 26% of healthcare facilities in the world, including hospitals, clinics, orphanages, pharmacies, and centers for those with leprosy. So, so these types of numbers are staggering and we should reflect on these carefully before we criticize a nest egg here, a surplus there, or suggest that instances of financial corruption mean that the church is simply incapable of proper stewardship. Another point is that the church is a vast and complex body with many different elements. When we think of the church, we need to call to mind not only the sumptuousness of the Vatican, but also the works of Mother Teresa, for example, a huge institution. And if we only consider one corner of it, we will undoubtedly fail to understand the true nature of the church. Each part of it must proclaim Christ in its own way, 
The Sisters of Charity proclaim Christ's particular concern for the poor, whereas the splendor of the Vatican reminds us that our Lord is Christ the King, the Son of the Most High. I think we also need to be wary because many who criticize the church's wealth are simply those who wish for the church's demise. And at this point, we can recall Judas's reaction to the anointing of Jesus by Mary Magdalene, as recorded in John chapter 12. Judas says, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Yet we're told this he said not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to take what was put into it. And I often get the same feeling when we hear critics of the supposed wealth of the church. There's just a complete failure to acknowledge that the absence of the church would leave a huge gap in terms of care of the poor and the vulnerable around the world. Another point to give us some context is that wealth in and of itself is not a problem. While there are many warnings in the scriptures against the love of money, that's not to say that money is evil for its own sake. And the vast services that I mentioned just before suggest that far from being a lover of money, the church is in fact a lover of souls. I think also if we look around us as an ordinary Catholic, looking at priests and religious, for example, I certainly don't get the impression that they live lavish lifestyles, and in fact, usually it's more the opposite that is true. And I think most everyday Catholics understand this, that there's there's really very few clergy who abuse their, their position and, and attempt to live lives of luxury. And the final point I'd like to make in terms of context is that people need bread, but they also need beauty. And I think it's this point that really gets to the heart of the issue, because I think a lot of the criticism stems from seeing gold leaf chairs and things like that in the Vatican. Mm. So the church does all it can to ensure that the poor are cared for materially. But she also knows that people need more than material sustenance. They also need sustenance for the soul. And so throughout history, the church has commissioned many great works of art and architecture and makes these available to humanity. Yes, yes. And, Andrew, there is... And behind this is, is, is the concern for the material needs. Well, there is, uh, you know, a kind of push for, at least a theoretical one, for the church to sell up all of its assets and give that money to the poor. And mm. that is uh, an interesting claim. Is that not, after all, the primary role of the church? You say that it reminds us of the splendor of God, but uh, that that's... That's surely a less important ambition than it is to supply the needs of the people of God. I'm not sure I'd agree with that. I think the, the primary purpose of the church is to be Christ in the world and to, to draw people to Christ. And there's many ways that that can be done. And certainly a, an incredibly important way of doing that is to provide for people's needs and to, to afford them the dignity that every person deserves. Well, would, but, would the church not be more apt at doing so if it paid taxes and met its kind of the government-imposed regulations that other institutions need to comply with? Because it's, well, not, think, because it's true that the Catholic Church does not pay tax. Is that not the case? That, yeah, that's, that's my understanding. I mean, I guess, I guess the idea here is, okay, so we're saying that the church should be giving away more money, but... 
where are we saying that all this money is being amassed that is, is not being given away? If we look at the church as a whole, we see that it's spending huge amounts of money essentially caring for people's well-being through its hospitals uh, and and outreaches in, in developing countries. So it's not clear to me what people are actually getting at. It would make a lot of sense if you could point to people in the Catholic Church who who drove around in flash cars all the time, were constantly buying new things, had 500 pairs of shoes, all that sort of pop culture excess. But that's simply not there. There's the odd, I mean, I can think of one cardinal who has recently been um, uh, pulled up by Pope Francis for, for living a lavish lifestyle. But it's certainly not the norm. So I think the church in general does a great job of looking after the poor and managing its finances. So... The idea uh, of paying taxes seems to be more driven at a way of getting hold of the church's money and spending it in a way in which perhaps uh, a sort of secular person would rather spend it. For example, they don't like the fact that uh, the church's aid programs don't provide contraceptives, for example. If you could get some of that money in the form of taxes, you could re-divert it into to some other program that perhaps is more acceptable to to secular norms. Well, I think the, I mean, that, that is going into the, the role of the church and its um, autonomy, which is a different thing. Mm. But I think it gets to the heart of all of the controversy between rich religious institutions, ones mm. that are, that are non -for, ostensibly non-for-profits, and therefore mm. evade the conditions that the rest of us have to comply with. Mm. And um, the need for equality and equity before the law are kind of everyone is equal before the law. And um, mm. that, that kind of check and balance system imposed mm. by the taxation system, one that the very wealthy in any kind of field evade and which has itself been a subject of criticism for the Vatican, uh, brings up. Um, so I, I think that the question is, is the Catholic Church or is, in any, is any religious institution non-for-profit? So, you know, you see that, you know, with like the very, very rich denominations in, in the United States, for example, those very large mega churches, which happen, lo and behold, to have assets in other fields who run businesses, who sell books and property and merchandise. Where is the, you know, how can it be uh, regulated in a way that we can say that they are beyond the need for intervention when, when everyone else seems not to be? So I think that is the question. You say that the church does much for the poor. Has that always been the case, that the church has been above reproach in its handling of money? No, it's, it hasn't always been the case. Uh, I would say that throughout history there have been I would like to think for the most part the church has managed its money well but but we know for a fact that there there have been financial abuses certainly for example the Protestant Reformation in part was triggered by abuses in relation to the the practice of indulgences hmm. that was a, a financial abuse um, to fund one. the rebuilding of St Peter's so so that yeah that, that's a really big one and no doubt there are many others especially given um, 
the the political power or the greater political power that the church has had in particular periods of history. Um, so there's certainly issues there, um, but in, in my view, the the religious based exemptions in terms of tax are are legitimate to the extent that religions are operating as religions and and not solely as businesses obviously the further they move into becoming simply a business then that that gets complicated and certainly at some point it has to attract regulation that's probably a very complicated question i imagine so i i think that this touches at the the very heart of the uncertainty between society and the church which is that one says it is the salt of the earth and a means for the common good of humanity. Mm. And another says that uh, there is no ins- one institution that is a beyond reproach, that we should all be equal before the law. And, uh, that, and that this is not just reserved for the Catholic Church, that, you know, like I said, all large religious institutions or bodies that claim non-for-profit status um, also need to be subject to regulation. And I think more than the need for paying tax, this touches at the very uh, uncertainty or the controversy of the church's dealings with money. And you say that it has not always been above reproach. Can we move on to that, Andrew? Can we, mm. um, we, we have um, kind of touched on the way that money has been historically tied to power and not to charity. Wouldn't it be in the best interest of the church to sell up all of its attractions? But now, if you don't mind, and all of its art and give that money to the poor. And you say that, no, that's not the case. The church has other uh, purposes on earth. But then having said that, the church has been embroiled in financial scandal. So please explain for the layperson. There are three things uh, three things, or three areas I want to touch on. First of all, what, what's this uh, freezing of the accounts of ex-Vatican heads? Would you happen to know anything about that? Look, so this is the Vatican's top prosecutor, who suspected three men uh, involved in the bank of embezzling money while managing the sale of some buildings by the Vatican Bank. Um, And this was between, well, the early 2000s, essentially. So clearly there's been some some dodgy deals going on and uh, uh, this absolutely needs to be cleaned up. There's there's no doubt that, uh, that this doesn't need attention. In fact, that's it's this nature of thing that Pope, why Pope Benedict instituted reforms and that these have been carried on by Pope, Pope Francis um, with the appointment of Cardinal Powell and so on. So we can hope to see a big clean up in this area. Uh, it, it would appear that the whole financial um, runnings of the Vatican and the Vatican Bank have um, been left alone for too long with too little oversight. Um, so it's a very positive step that, that we're seeing these changes being made. Mm. Uh, I don't know any of their... Well, I do, actually. I mean, I, I know, for example, that um, the Vatican Bank has been embroiled with scandal. When we talk about the freezing of accounts of ex-Vatican heads, are those the same men? Men like, I think it's Roberto Calvi, who was murdered and, and whose murder has been um, linked in the media... Yeah, in the popular media, perhaps to the Vatican Bank itself, to the Vatican itself. Uh, so I haven't. No, I don't believe it was that particular man, but it was the former bank president um, and the ex-director general and a lawyer associated with the the bank. So th- those are the three particular men in this case. 
The other, you know, great revelation is that Cardinal Pell found millions tucked away in Vatican accounts. I can barely find, you know, coinage tucked away in my piggy bank. So um, how is it possible that just so much money evaded regulation, evaded notice? Well, I think it's indicative of why the way the finances have been run. Um, Pal said himself, very few attempted to tell the outside world what was happening, except when they needed extra help. I mean, you can just imagine it, people buried in their, their Vatican offices, each department, basically as long as things were going well, they, they kept to themselves and healthy profits were, would, would have been great. Um, hmm. So so that, look, it's it's not to say that there's necessarily been wrongdoing, and I think I think the implication is that there hasn't been, but just that there hasn't been transparency, that's the big issue here. Um, so it's pleasing that this money has been now accounted for and um, and can be managed um, with a single point of oversight rather than being squirreled away in various corners of the Vatican Bank. The Vatican um, heads were fired, were they not, when um, Francis first stepped into the papacy? Uh, you may know more about that than me. <laughs> well, I think I think there was kind of a mass, like a you know, it was kind of sure. dis- discreet, but mm. he kind of uh, you know uh, quite boldly cut out the leeches within the Vatican mm. Bank community. So mm. um, I, th- I think that happened uh, maybe mid last year. Um, yeah, sure. But, but in any case, Cardinal Pell said in an article, I think, for the Catholic Herald magazine, that mm. the Vatican is paying its way and mm. that it still has plenty of assets. It is important to point out the Vatican is not broke, he said. The Holy See is paying mm. its way while possessing substantial assets and investment, Pell said, according to an advanced text made available on Thursday. What did he mean by that, paying its way? Well, I guess there's, in the recent past, there's been suggestions that the Vatican is broke. So I think we should be reassured that that is not the case and that the Vatican can continue to operate. Mm. Uh, I'd have not thought that the Vatican was broke, but I I guess that's out there. All right, then. So the scandals and mysterious culture of the Vatican Bank is the third kind of area of uh, controversy. And the suicide Mm. of its former head is one example of that. Uh, in an article published on The Economist, um, you know, we learn about how uh, Cardinal Pell said Pope Francis would soon name an Auditor General free to go everywhere and any- anywhere within the walled city to root out lapses. And, um, mm. and then this goes on to say the way that, you know, religion and finance have always sat together uncomfortably, blah, 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 blah. But the point is, it points to kind of an endemic culture of mystery and misuse. And we learn about people like Mr. Von Freiburg, who had presided, I think, over the wealth of the bank, uh, including uh, uh, around 3,350 customer relationships, which have been stopped or are being ended um, as a result of uh, his work. And also... um, John Baptiste Fransou, a French former chief executive and a fund management group, and both did their best to depict, you know, the normal of goings-on of the events in the bank and that um, that this might be some kind of a cover-up. So, uh, yes, there has been uh, in the, I suppose, Italian media, maybe a scandalous, maybe a tabloidy kind of coverage, 
But can you speak of any of those long-held kind of legends about, for example, the murder of Robert Roberto Calvi, who used to be um, the the head of the Vatican Bank, as far as I know, he used to be called God's Banker? What about that that uh, culture of scandal? Hmm. Well, there's no doubt that this all sounds very sensational, and with deaths and so on. Uh, it would seem that, that some of that reputation is, is deserved. But we have to take com- comfort in the, the reforms that are going on, that these will really um, clean up these sort of things and hopefully mean that the Vatican Bank drops out of the news a little bit uh, and that it is focused on its role of providing for the, the various religious bodies around the world that depend on it um, to, to, to act as their banker. Yes, they're banker in, in a material way because it does hold assets for. And is it all just Catholic institutions that the Vatican Bank works for? Uh, I couldn't say. I mean, I would imagine so, but yeah. Um, yeah, who knows? That's it for today's discussion of the wealth of the Vatican. But the conversation continues on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash conversation CV. Join us there and have your say. Thank you, Andrew. My pleasure, Daniel. And I'm Daniel North. Thank you for joining us. And we hope to have you with us next time. This has been it for the discussion of the wealth of the Vatican. You've been listening to Conversations with Catholic Voices. Stay tuned for more episodes at cradio.org.au. And for more information on Catholic Voices Australia, visit catholicvoices.org.au. dot org dot au